Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Psalm 1. Listen for what God is saying to you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and pause in the midst of all the things that are uh, weighing on our hearts, all the activities um, that are happening in our lives, and just kind of rest a little bit in your word and your, your presence. So we ask that your spirit would move freely throughout our hearts and minds, that you would clear away the clutter that demands our attention most of the time so that we can just lean in a little closer to hear what it is that you have to say to us today. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. About a year ago, uh, Sella discovered the television show Dora the Explorer. Have any of you seen it? Yeah, okay. So this is, I think this is the first generation that came through, right, of Dora the Explorer, but now it's, you know, 15 years later. Um, I had never seen it, right, but it, it, I knew it was really popular. So one day after she started watching it, not that long after she started watching it, I was home in another room when I suddenly heard her shouting, like nearly screaming with a fierce urgency in her voice, backpack, backpack. <laughs> I heard it again and again, and so finally I went to see what was going on. And, and what Dora says is, you know, in order to open her backpack, she says, can you say backpack? And backpack, right? Um, and the thing that I noticed after watching for a while is that everything in Dora the Explorer feels very urgent. Um, we have to save the Ice Princess, we must get to Blueberry Hill, and the key resource for achieving all goals, the must-have tool was? Backpack. Well, something in the backpack, which is the map. If there's a place you gotta go, I'm the one you need to know, I'm the map. I'm the map, I'm the map, if there's a place you gotta get, I can get you there, I bet. I'm the map. I'm the map, 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 I'm the map. Dora and Boots want to know where to go to find blueberries. Well, I know where to go to find blueberries. Blueberry Hill. To get to Blueberry Hill, First, you go across the icy cold river. 
Then you go through the prickly forest. And that's how you get to Blueberry Hill. But watch out for Swiper the Fox. So, he lives I mean, on I don't know if blueberries are really all worth all that trouble, right? But <laughs> I'm going to let Dora make her own decisions. Regardless, the map is a must-have. The map is a character that shows up in the backpack. So you have to ask for the backpack, and then the map comes out. Um, and, and, and you need the map um, for all of Dora's adventures. So if you're trying to get to the rocket ship, you have to go over Turtle River and through the Crocodile Swamp. If the swimming lake is your destination, you have to go through the farmer's market and over the Rainbow Bridge. It can get a little more complicated, like in this episode, Dora has to become a true princess in order to help her friend Boots, and so in order to do that, she has to find magic rings in the cave, she has to teach the stones how to sing, she has to go into the wintry mountain and turn it into spring, um, and then she has to go to the castle and take the moon to the king and the queen. So the, the circumstances vary, <laughs> the goals change, but always the map remains. It's the central source for knowing how to get to where we want to go, how to prepare for what might come our way, whether it is a red light camera reported ahead, or traffic from an accident or the quickest way to get somewhere. Maps are useful for navigating our way on whatever journey we might find ourselves on. And a map of a sort is what we're talking about today. The author of Psalm 1, in many ways, is describing a kind of map for how to live a life that is rooted and sustained, how to remain stable at peace and directed in a world that throws a lot at us in a short period of time. Why, just this last month, we've had folks break a leg, held up at gunpoint, get hit with four years of property taxes, make a decision to divorce, purchase, um, uh, purchase homes. We've had two people purchase homes. Um, and another person, the same one who got held up by gunpoint, had their bathroom flooded not two weeks after closing their new, on their new home, right? These are just kind of the personal realities, but that's rough, right, just for a month. Not to mention the broader calamities, right, of the world that we're living in in this moment. Life can be really hard, even when we're doing everything right, even when we're trying to be, like, responsible good citizens, right? So how do we stay grounded? Well, what is the map? What is helpful is that there's a map kind of for, for kind of making our way um, in, in the world as we live in our lives and the lives that we lead, um, and, and there is a way that we can begin to navigate it with dignity, faithfulness, and, and even righteousness. Psalm 1 is the map, in a way. It has a plan for you. The secret sauce, too, like with most sandwiches, is right in the middle in verses four, 3 and 4. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Even as we might find ourselves surrounded by people or patterns of thought or behaviors that encourage us to walk with the wicked or stand like sinners or sit with mockers, shifting, moving, always in time with the things that keep us anxious, on edge, never complete, even as we might find ourselves surrounded by energies and behaviors that shift our centers and our call away from our souls. In the midst of all of this, the psalmist says, enjoy scripture, delight in the law of the Lord. Engage your intellect, your reason. Meditate day and night. Draw from the wisdom of your elders passed through tradition. Be planted by streams of water. And pay attention 
to your experience of the world, yielding fruits in season and not withering. These four resources, scripture, reason, tradition, and experiences, these are the map. They're 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 the map. The map that John Wesley, the guy who founded what later became the Methodist movement, it's what he used, it's what he worked from in order to faithfully follow and live into the ministry that God had placed on his heart. Now, quick background on John Wesley for those of you who don't know much about him. John Wesley was born in England, the son of a a minister and a family full of ministers. He grew up in the church and knew all the things about that life. But at one point, as a young adult, he was on a boat caught in the middle of a really bad storm. And things were not looking good, and everyone was pretty sure that no one was going to make it. So there's John Wesley, like, putting on his oxygen mask, strapping on his flotation device, you know, hoping for the best, wooden spoon in his mouth just in case, right? When he looks and he sees a group of Moravian Christians over in the corner, and they're praying and singing and, and looking very unbothered by this tumultuous storm, and in fact, downright peaceful. The boat makes it through the storm, and Wesley's like, hold up. What's up with these guys, right? Like, how come I don't have what they have? I grew up in the church. And that kind of gets him down this whole other pathway. He returns to college, gets a group of folks together who want to grow spiritually. He's praying and worshiping and reading scripture and doing just about everything he can to try to circle in closer and kind of catch a little bit of what those Moravians had. But nothing seems to be happening. So, but then there's this moment. Boom. He takes communion. And it's like, this switch gets flipped inside of him. He describes it by saying, my heart was strangely warmed, which is the Anglican version of being slain in the spirit. (laughs) This experience goes on to completely transform his life and shape his path from then on out. So that's John Wesley, basically. And the reason why I'm talking about him is because of the map. Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience were the map, like I said, that John Wesley used throughout his life and faith in ministry. And he encouraged his followers to use this map too, to help them navigate their lives faithfully and courageously. These four resources, scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, they are so closely tied to Wesley's way of being. He he probably didn't necessarily use those words, but that was kind of what people began to see him operating out of, right? So they were so closely to the ways that he lived out his life in faith that people now call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Can we say that? Wesleyan quadrilateral. It's kind of like math because it sort of sounds like math, but it's not really. Um, the Wesleyan quadrilateral is this kind of like formula or like a go-to touch point for discernment, decision-making, and wayfinding in life and faith. But I mean, for as sincere as I'm sure that all Wesleyan scholars were in naming this approach after Wesley, I'm just going to say like there's like a little bit of Columbusing happening here, right? Because if you look throughout scripture, you will see that this way of thinking and approaching faith started way before John Wesley. It shows up in all sorts of moments of discernment in Scripture. In fact, it showed up in the passage that we uh, looked at last week. So you can look it up, Acts 15, right? And you'll see it. You'll see in Acts 15, 15, this council in Jerusalem, for those of you who who are unfamiliar um, and weren't here last week, you'll see that Acts 15, uh, that there's this kind of primary dispute, right, between tradition and experience, Like, the OGs want newly converted followers of Jesus to get circumcised, and Paul and Barnabas are like, why? 
you know? Um, so tradition versus experience, I think, is like the most common debate. Actually, it's age old, right? You can see it in scripture um, about in, in just about any and every context. And I can't, I can't tell you, right, how many videos or articles I've seen about how lazy and entitled millennials are. Why can't they grow up? Why don't they just get a real job and buy a house instead of blowing all their money on avocado toast and Netflix, right? But the data shows a very different experience, right? Millennials can't buy homes because real jobs that pay a decent enough salary offering enough coverage for student loan on debt and opportunities to save are really hard to find. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? So not to mention, right, that millennials aren't, most millennials aren't even paying for their Netflix scripts, uh, subscriptions because they're sponging off their old roommate's ex-girlfriend's account, right? <laughs> Ask me how I have Hulu Plus, right? So <laughs> tradition is important. It's valuable, right, to have mark, milestones that mark our growth and status as adults, which is what that measurement is really kind of trying to do, right? Tradition isn't bad, but tradition won't live long. It can't live long if it just operates out of this uh, ignorance in our experiences, right? It, it'll break if it's too rigid. In fact, uh, each aspect of the quad, uh, Wesleyan quadrilateral is, is less a bunch of rules that have to sort of be rigidly followed um, and more kind of like a set of principles, right? A set of tools that you can sort of use in different ways to help you um, respond to whatever moment in time, whatever kind of dilemma or challenge we find ourselves facing. Tradition reminds us that we are connected to our ancestors and that their wisdom can guide us. And that's important, right? But experience is the lived reality that we find ourselves in now. Scripture tells us of the many and varied ways that God desires to be in relationship with us, has has tried to work it out to be in relationship with us. And reason reminds us that intellect, critical thinking, and scientific processes hold us to a rigorous understanding. To read the Bible without applying reason, well, you end up with the Creation Museum, right? The, the, the map, the quadrilateral, helps you keep your faith accountable to the multiple truths that shape our faith. It's, you're, it's, you're never entirely stable because you're always kind of checking yourself against these four different things um, that, that are competing truths in some, in some ways. And, and if you can faithfully discern this in community, in holy communion, like we talked about last week, then, then you can kind of circle in a little bit closer to the to maybe not the most faithful way, but the most faithful way you can in this moment, right, move forward. But sometimes even when you're doing that, right, it can still be really challenging because it can go against, it can sort of like cause you to have to get over yourself in some ways, right? It can even go against your sensibilities. So like one of the things that John Wesley really looked down on was what we would call street preaching today, right? He thought it was awful, but then he kind of saw like how this way of reaching out, especially to people who would never feel welcome in his like kind of uppity churches that he grew up going into, um, he saw that it was actually really powerful for helping people to come alive in their faith, right? So he couldn't deny this, even if he didn't really like. There, he was, there was there was a little distaste for this um, form of preaching. So anyway, in seven, you you know, you tell God, like, I'm never going to do this, right? God is like, watch me, right? So this, so in 1739, Wesley ends up uh, feeling this sense that God is calling him to street preaching too. So he kind of writes again in his, you know, his way, I submitted to become more vile um, by sharing the gospel in the streets. Wesley agreed to do a thing that he really didn't want to do because, but 
because experience told him and his observations told him that the spirit was moving, he really felt like he had no choice but to join in. And as he offered himself in this way, as he submitted himself to the vile thing, he found himself actually renewed and surprised and inspired by what God was doing through him. All because he was willing to move from a place that was safe and familiar to a place where he experienced and saw God calling and the Spirit moving and doing something. And this brings me back to our passage for today. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, there was one thing that was really interesting when I was kind of looking into this passage and, and some of the, the um, Hebrew. Um, this word that gets translated as planted, shatal, a lot of scholars argue that it should, be, um, it should instead be translated as transplanted. And to me, this is a really important and interesting detail because what it says to me is that the righteous person, the blessed person, the faithful person, isn't someone who got born into the right place at the right time, necessarily, right? It isn't someone who has to have been on point from day one. In fact, this word transplanted leads me to believe that this is someone who has made a hard left turn in life, right? Who has made a choice to do something different. Someone who kind of like John Wesley realizes like, hey, wait a minute, I need to do this differently. Someone who is willing to make even drastic changes in order to transplant themselves so they're near streams of water where they can be rooted, where they can be strengthened and purposed for God's work in this world. They realize, you know, I'm transplanted by a dry riverbed, and I am thirsty for something. Now, are you planted by streams of water? Are you reading scripture, drawing from tradition, paying attention to your experiences and the experiences of others, putting yourself in places where you can use your reasoning to live into the fullness of life and faith? Are you offering yourself in service to others from a place of being rooted near streams of water? It's more than a checklist of do's and don'ts it's a way of living and thinking and responding and doing faithfully, thoughtfully, critically, courageously. How are you planted by streams of water? Or maybe, how do you need to be transplanted? Now, if you're not sure, pull out the map. Look to scripture, tradition, reason experience. Put them in conversation with the Spirit. Open your heart and see how God moves, where God leads you. Do these things on your own and with community here in Holy Communion and see what gets revealed. Like John Wesley, you might get slain in the Spirit. Or you might have a moment where things just kind of become clear. Oh, I see. All the things came together in a way that maybe you never could have imagined, but couldn't imagine going any other way afterwards. Pull out the map. See where it takes you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for people like John Wesley and all the people who don't get remem remembered and, and don't get uh, quadrilaterals named after them. 
We thank you for the faithful people who make up our legacy of faith, who remind us that who we are um, is a great starting point and that you have given us resources to go further, to, to live more deeply, to be bigger in this world in ways that increase your life and increase flourishing for all of your creation. We ask that you would help us to be people who live by the map, not in a way that is rigid, but in a way that is deeply creative, that isn't afraid of the messiness of who we are, but in fact sees those messy um, spaces as opportunities for creative love to happen, for your grace to show up and um, something new to emerge that is even surprising to us. So help us to encourage one another in this journey. And we thank you for the life and witness of those who have shown us what can happen if we submit ourselves to the things that we can never imagine ourselves doing for your sake, by your leadership, and with the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.